and welcome to the Superior Spider Talk. My name is Dan, and I'm the editor of GrindMyReels.com. And I'm Mark Ginocchio. I'm the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Thanks for joining us for the seventh episode of Superior Spider Talk. We hope you enjoyed this monthly podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. For episode seven, we'll be looking at Superior Spider-Man number 15 and 16. We'll then conclude the conversation with a discussion about a classic comic from our collection. This week, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man number four, the debut of a Sandman, a recent addition to my collection. That's pretty sweet, Mark. I'm kind of yeah, jealous was, of you. It was a pretty good haul, Dan. What can I say? I, I, I turned 32, and that's what I got. Hey, it's not bad. I, I turned 27. Yeah, I think that's my age. <laughs> and I got a bag for my camera. Not nearly as cool as number four. Uh, you, you need to find better people to buy you presents, Dan. I do. I do. But they're all lovely. Anyway, <laughs> if you want to skip to a specific section, just use the chapter selection arrows on your player. And if you hear this sound, please check your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. You can email us any comments or questions you have regarding this podcast to superiorspidertalk at gmail.com or visit us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash superiorspidertalk. We would love to get some mail from you. We haven't had some in a little while. Yeah, Dan. And in addition, just let's remind everyone, our Facebook page is a great place to keep with us in between shows, as we often put up articles that we've written and other breaking news about the Spider-Man universe and also how to get in touch with us. So please, like Dan the Man said, like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash superior spider talk. And also don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Now let's get into our review of Superior Spider-Man number 15. So, Mark, take it away. Tell me, what did you think of the next part of this Hobgoblin saga here, number 15? Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought this was a huge improvement over issue 14 and also the uh, Chris Gage uh, raft arc. Um, I mean, I think the, the biggest improvement that we saw in issue 15 was just the fact that the supporting cast... Or I guess the supporting cast that matters. I know there were some, you know, there was Jonah. Jonah always matters. Don't don't mistake that. But in terms of some of the supporting characters involved with the Raft arc, uh, wasn't really as into it. But with this one, we, we saw MJ again. We saw Aunt May. We saw, um, we had Carly Cooper and her, her never-ending uh, gumshoe investigation. Um, even, the, even the Green Goblin was... I mean, he's still they're, they're still using a very slow burn with that plot line, but I felt that they did a little more to advance it here than they had the past couple of issues. Um, and and just overall, I just felt this issue was just kind of a breath of fresh air coming out of uh, a slew of issues that, that not that they were bad, but you and I definitely weren't as happy with them as um, we had been with the first uh, ten issues of Superior. Yeah, um, I, these are the kind of stories I love that Dan Slott does, these kind of like all over New York stories where it shows the world and community of Spider-Man. And 
makes you realize that when they're not on the page, they're still doing things. Uh, like, we get to see the Tinkerer, and Tiberius Stone has apparently gotten a job with him, and there's all kinds of, like, things that have been happening in this world, and, and I enjoy checking in on that and remembering, oh, yeah, the Tinkerer is out there doing something. Not just the Spider-Mobile. I mean, for me, in terms of the featured villain, um, I thought that this was the best we've seen of the the Phil Yurik uh, Hobgoblin since um, Slot's been on the title. I know that um, this has been a bit of a controversial character since he was introduced, because first there was the, the whole... Uh, blasphemy of him killing Roderick Kingsley and ended up being, of course, his brother Daniel uh, back during big time. But um, I, I just for me, I, I felt the character was a little too one-dimensional. Um, I, I know when he was introduced in the 90s, it was more of as a kind of a, uh, a parallel to Peter in some ways. Um, but I felt here because of the um, just the drama that they built around Phil, I mean, he's he's he, there's a desperation to him in terms of trying to gather money to pay to pay Roderick so he can stay on as the identity. You know, as far as he's concerned, the kingpin is gone, um, which adds to the tension. And he's on the run. He's trying to escape this psychotic version of Spider-Man that he's unfamiliar with. And then, of course, there's the big reveal at the end, uh, which really just brings everything crashing down on him. And and I think for the first time. Uh, with Slot's pen, uh, Phil was very sympathetic, for me at least. Yeah, you, you, the Peter Parker parallel is really strong here, and um, I love that he is worrying about paying off Kingsley, and there's a wonderful two-page spread from Ramos uh, that shows all the actions and banks he's robbing while Spider-Man is chasing him down, and um, you really get a feel for the villains in this case, and um, and I, re- I really enjoyed that. I, I do feel sympathy for him, even though he really deserves what he's getting because he's doing horrible things. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, the comeuppance is definitely deserved, but, I mean, he's vulnerable. That's the difference, and and this is kind of what we've been arguing with with Otto as Spider-Man, too. I mean, it's, it's you know, after a while, we it, it kind of gets boring seeing the good guys and the bad guys just consistently come out on top or, or just consistently remain unchanged and unfazed. And I feel that that vulnerability is, is a, is a layer that we have not seen from Phil's hobgoblin in a long time. Um, and, and I liked it. And then the other thing I liked too was, um, Anna Maria. Yeah. Who, you know, I think in the long lines of Peter Parker love interests, you know, she's certainly the most unique character, but for me, she's she's one of the best characters Slot has introduced on Superior. What do you what do you think about it, Maria? I mean, just like I, I would say, Phil Urich. The more time I spend with her, the more I I like her as a person. Um, although I do think that she has kind of been uh, earlier on. I enjoyed her presence more. Recently, she's kind of just been the check in with Lamaze person. Um, and she's kind of more like almost like Peter's counselor than anything else. But they do some interesting things here. There's a, a really amazing image that Ramos cooked up where uh, Peter is sitting on this like uh, – Looks like his Game of Thrones Yeah, it's like, uh, Ma- it's like Madam <laughs> Webb's old throne Yeah, uh, with all the images around her. And, uh, and he so feels – it's such a cold image uh, and he's thinking about – Disconnecting himself from Peter Parker's life altogether, and uh, you know Anna Maria is really the only thing that snaps him out of of that. And and personally, you know, as someone who 
works way too hard on a number of things. There are times where I think to myself, I would get a lot more work done if I could just disassociate myself from the people in my life. Um, but this, it's not a healthy thing to do. And, you know, I think maybe this one person is all that's keeping him from, like, just, you know, falling deep into that uh, heroic for vanity's sake uh, mode that he's in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also the it also keeps us the readers connected to Peter Parker because I feel that you know the you know Otto's relationship with Anna Maria is kind of like that that one remaining Parker characteristic that 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 interpersonal relationship that that you know happens outside of the confines of Spider Man when and, and I feel she's a good match for him. In a lot of ways, I do. I, 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 I just like the, the, the dynamic the two of them have. Yeah, it'll be interesting if Peter comes back and is still dating this person. One, for the reason of uh, who the heck is this person. Right. Uh, that will be interesting to explain. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be actually interested to see what their chemistry would be like. Well, for, um, me, it's, for me, it's also what's going to happen if Otto ever has to come clean to her. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder... Uh, I wonder if you know the more that he distances himself from Peter's life, and we see Mary Jane and Aunt May uh, complaining about this, and, and Mary Jane maybe finally getting a clue uh, right. in this in this book. Uh, Although they've teased that before a couple of times, like, "Oh, that's not the Peter I know." Oh well, la di da. This one club. seemed a little more substantial for some reason to me, but. Uh, one of the things I want to say is he made that promise to Aunt May that Peter and Spider-Man would never be seen together. And mm-hmm. in a twisted way, he's almost making that true because he's getting rid of Peter Parker. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I didn't even think about it from that angle. But, um, you know, it, it's like I said, I, I, I really enjoy this relationship. Hey, I mean, I guess the other question is if, you know, supposedly Stunner, Doc Ock's old flame is going to show up in a couple of issues. Uh How's, how's that going to go over? Is, is he going to feel conflicted with uh, going with a seven-foot Amazonian woman or the, the, diminutive, the diminutive Anna Marie? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a battle I'd like to see. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it look, from based on the cover of that book, I don't think Stunner's too happy to see him. No, I don't um, think so either. <laughs> especially because he's Peter Parker. But uh, right, al- right. also, we've got that fling with the black cat coming up, it looks like, on the cover, where he's having like a romantic ultimate spider-man-esque dinner with her on the rooftop uh i wonder are we gonna see romance between these two people that hated each other at some point Uh, i have no idea i still think that's a stretch to think that'll happen just just based on otto himself but they do um, look awful cozy on that cover yeah but he looks a little awkward and uncomfortable to me that's Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's all it's all in the eye of the beholder but with that said as much as an improvement there's still some of these frustrating plot holes um in this universe right now that it's starting to get a little irritating for me i mean we we you know we're we're dealing with the wreckage of shadowland in this issue and it's basically no one outside of carly is questioning spider-man right now like i mean wouldn't you think like daredevil would have something to say about the fact that the kingpin is dead it's just it's 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 a little bit of too much suspension of disbelief for me and and you know while we're starting to see more and more chinks in the Spider-Rock armor, I, I think that this that the creative team is still kind of putting off some of these hanging, the low-hanging fruit here that need to be addressed. 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of those instances where I think I'd probably give it a little more slack uh, because I kind of always want Spider-Man to be in his own universe. I always feel like when, by connecting all, a lot of these characters to the Marvel Universe, you remove a lot of potential plot lines that could happen because they could all be backed up by the, well, why don't the Avengers come and save them? Or, you know, and at some point you kind of have to say, like, okay... You know, you distance yourself from the other characters, but at the same time, maybe they're busy doing something else. I, who knows? The comic logic is kind of messed up, but I do agree with you. Like, the destruction yeah. of Shadowland and all these things would raise a little more than an eyebrow from some of these people. Well, although we do see a little bit of that in number 16. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and Dan, I mean, to be fair, the only reason why I mentioned Daredevil here is because, I mean, you know, you talk about the, the separations of universes and, and Shadowland to me is a, is a very distinctive Daredevil thing. I mean, it's the yeah. it's the fortress of the hand and of the kingpin within Hell's Kitchen, you know. So, I mean, that's the only reason why I would say, like, you know, if 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 anybody from the outside universe should show up here, it should be him. I yeah, mean, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, but But, you know. Especially but in the apparent aside, death of Kingpin, who's been Daredevil's longtime nemesis. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah, he was Spidey's enemy first, but, I mean, Kingpin is kind of – I mean, I actually recently had a discussion with someone uh, on Twitter who was making the case that Kingpin wasn't really a, a, a main Spider-Man villain. And I had to remind them of all those Silver Age stories. But, I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is Kingpin is, is associated as a Daredevil guy now. I mean, you know, there's, there's no question about it. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's that. And then there, there's this Carly subplot, which I don't know. I just kind of want to like shake Carly and tell her like, just, just, you know, what about the fact that he admitted to you that uh, I, I, am I just being too, <laughs> too hard on this, on this, on this plot line right now? I don't know. This, this, this no, whole Carly. I don't, I don't I, think so. I, I think there could have been more work done in setting up the idea that she wants to make sure she has a fact or give her some kind of, um, even a scene where someone says to her, like, you know, if you give us, like, incorrect information, it could cost you your job or something. You know, in the same way, uh, I could get into Breaking Bad spoilers, but I'm not going to. But, you know, <laughs> uh, like, if, 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 if maybe she had a history where she, like, went to them before she was prepared and it, like, backfired on her and she's like, I really don't want to lose my job or, like, my reputation um, – that might be one thing, but here, I don't know what she really has to lose by other than like looking crazy, like coming forward without uh, without proof. But I think she probably has like she could at least get more of the department in on it. You know, yeah. I mean, I guess she has cap the captain joining her, but this kind of vigilante justice could probably be enforced by several police officers or skeptical citizens in New York City. Yeah, and I, and I guess I'm also a little bothered by the fact that it seems like the 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 link in the case is going to be this whole like follow the money thing which i mean i guess it makes sense in that they already introduced you know all this insane technology that that spider rock is using but i mean like it just seems like a really kind of blah non-superhero comic way to foil a villain, an imposter hero or a villain. I yeah. mean, you know, like, like, oh, let's check the, you know, not to jump ahead, but let's check the Cayman Islands bank account or whatever. I, I just, it's just not really, doesn't really do it for me um, in terms of superhero comics. But, you know, that's, that's, 
you know, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, this is clearly uh, uh, something that is being drawn out for the convenience of making sure that this status quo continues. I mean, you know, I think if we all just did what we think Carly should do and is in her right to do, <laughs> it would put a put a hammer on things a little too quickly. Um, Isn't there like a mutant who's like a super attorney? <laughs> is like there a super accountant? <laughs> caveman lawyer <laughs> so uh and then the other character and it was tiberius stone which i mean i think is pointing more and more to confirming dan's theories uh in was that podcast two or three where you were talking about tiberius it was one and of those earlier ones so so we have Dan's theories about um Tiberius Stone being related to the uh, CEO of Alchemax, which is, and this is a character that has, he's the creator of Spider-Man 29, uh, Tyler Stone, right, Dan? Yeah, Tyler Stone is his name. I mean, not too far of a reach, especially when they've referred to Tiberius Stone as Ty Stone. Right. But, I mean, for me, this this reintroduction wasn't anything to get too excited about. I mean, he kind of seemed a little little over the top in the, uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, you messed with the wrong nerd and that kind of stuff. I mean, did you, did, did you know, b- beyond the fact that we think this character is being used to help advance the plot for the, for some upcoming issues, did, was, did this set your world on fire at all? I mean, uh, it set it on fire as much as any of these kind of side characters was going to. I mean, I enjoyed seeing that he was out there. I forgot about the wrinkle that he was out there still. And that he is, you know, a bit angry about the Hobgoblin. I thought that was a, a, a cool way of bringing it back around. Oh, yeah, the tech guy is going to, uh, you know, de-engineer all this tech. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting, like, w- where he was in the world. Um, especially because I forgot about him. I mean, not yeah. forgot about him, but it wasn't something that was on my radar to be involved with this storyline. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to see him again. He's not my favorite character, but... He's not. I don't think he's a terrible character either, as far as plot devices go. All right. I mean, and, and it is. I'm going to be interested to see how he's used in 17 and 18 when Spider-Man 29 when Miguel O'Hara joins the fray. Yeah, he does have uh, like Horizon Lab stuff wallpapered all over his wall uh, about how angry he is, and he has a checklist in the next one that says "Get revenge on Horizon." So. And then there's like a Dan Marito stuffed toy too with a knife in it, or is that? <laughs> am I mixing up my my references? Um, the laces then, were out. Laces or, out. Laces yeah, out. Yeah, Horizon. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, what did you think of Ramos in this one? I, I was I, I was much more happier with Ramos in this issue than I was I think with um, fourteen. Yeah, this is why I'm a fan of Ramos. I mean, people that don't like his work, I would always point to these kind of issues. The the ones that showcase the the full cast and and he just draws things with such glee and there's just a real energy. His paneling is superb. Uh, characters like weave in and out of the panels in really interesting ways and dodge things. It just gives it a fun flow and um, you can't stop reading his comics. I think uh, and 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 just a little like facial uh, things he does on characters is really. Sublime, maybe not on the level of Stegman. I think Stegman's facial work is is really tops. Um, but Ramos has a different flavor that I that I like almost as much. He's like the spicy chicken sandwich. Well, as I said, there's more energy to Ramos with to Ramos illustrations. It's more it's more kinetic. I feel. Yeah, 
And, uh, and, 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 you know, there are times where that plays well. Um, and then there are times where Spider-Man looks like a contortionist. And I felt that we had a little too much of the latter in 14, but we had much more of the former here in 15, in, um, 15 and 16 too, to jump ahead. But, um, no, this is, uh, you know, like I love Ramos's work on spider Island. To me, that was some of my favorite stuff. Yeah, I, and like, excellent. And, and you, and you mentioned, in this issue, the the, the, the the two page spread with Hobgoblin on the run and Spider Man pursuing him and, and, and you know, when we talk about quieter moments and quieter to me this is what it is. I mean this is there's a lot of action going on and it's one of those like kind of trademark Ramos two page spreads, but like to me like things just seemed more under control. Yeah, and the coloring here is great, and 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 mixed with Ramos, it, it's a it's a really nice combination because um, the, I mentioned the image where Spider-Man is doing his kind of Madam Web thing and sitting on that throne. Uh, Ramos brings in the shadows, and, and Ramos really knows how to use his blacks well uh, and allow the colorist to fill in the rest um, in a way that I I, I don't get with Kamen Coley, um, who I think does a lot more. Uh, uses his blacks to outline a bit more. But mm. Ramos really fills it in, and you get the sunkenness to, to Peter's character, and it immediately brings you down into that scene and subdues you. And then the colors get subdued, too. And you get this really complacent, still moment with Peter. And I, I think the balance there is really, really nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, one so thing, you do, oh, no, sorry. I wanted to bring up one more thing. I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who uh, recently picked up the book again, and he doesn't follow people on Twitter or anything like that. He's just a casual reader. Um, and, you know, he listens to our show every once in a while because I kind of was like, what do you think? And uh, <laughs> he and I have been reading comics together for like 15 years. But uh, so shout out to you, Ryan, if you're listening. But uh, I had a conversation with him asking, like, so who do you think? The Green Goblin is. And he was like, well, it's Norman Osborn, duh. And it made me think, oh, yeah. Like, if you're not following this, like, you have no reason up to this point to really question that it's Norman Osborn in that suit. Like, why would you assume otherwise? Um, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, we, we, we haven't established that um, Osborn has totally quit being the goblin right i mean well there's that there's that osborne mini from a couple of years ago like kelly's never read that but i mean i don't know if that suggests that maybe it couldn't possibly be him yeah i don't i don't really know but um in this it's issue it's interesting in this issue because when he's out of the goblin suit whoever this businessman is he, he's in like businessman attire and it looks like norman osborne would dress with his kind of like teal suits and stuff um, but his face is covered uh, very much in keeping with the original introduction of Osborne in S- Amazing Spider-Man 14, where you've got those metal panels covering his face as he changes in and out of costume. Um, so it's an obvious callback to that. But I'm wondering, you know, what would that read to people who aren't keeping up with that maybe it's not Norman Osborne? And I wonder if our surprise of whatever the real is, if it's not reveal is that it's not Norman Osborn will be tempered by the fact that some people, for some people reading this comic, they will have no idea that it wasn't ever going to be Norman Osborn. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting to, to bring up. And I also wanted to point out, I thought that the cliffhanger in this book was really spectacular. Mm. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I was itching to read 16 
because this taking the step forward one to take over the electronics in New York City is crossing a serious line and it harkens back to amazing Spider-Man number 600 where uh, Octopus really controlled the city um, in a way that became dangerous. And I think in 16, we'll talk about this again, but also revealing the Hobgoblin's identity to the world is something that I don't think Peter Parker would ever do. He knows about the sacredness and, uh, of the secret identity and how damaging that would be to someone uh, you know, were, were they t- that to get out for them. And he always made it a personal battle, even though he knew who the other person was. Yeah, I mean, like, he didn't even out Norman as the Green Goblin for years. I mean, it was, you know, like, I mean, going back to, you know, after the death of Nor, you know, the initial death of Norman in 122, I mean, you know, he's, he, he, you know, part of the reason why he gets hung up with the murder rap is because he won't come forward and talk about Norman was the Goblin who killed Gwen Stacy, you know? So it's, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I, the the I think the um, this that's a very intentional decision to have Otto do something so differently here. Yeah, so let's get this, into grades. So, Mark, yes. what did you think of this issue overall? I thought this was a very solid B, and um, you know, the only reservations I have about that is because I gave, I think I gave the first and second parts of the breakout arc Bs, and now I think I think by comparison I should have lowered those grades, but. This is a B, good issue, not all-star, but good issue. And I'm right there with you. I'm giving it a B as well, and I feel vindicated for giving Breakout a lower rating than, than you, Mark. So uh, <laughs> so there you go. Congratulations for not liking something as much as I did. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our discussion of the next issue, Superior Spider-Man number 16. <laughs> Spider-Man 16, I mentioned it with 15 about there being drama with Phil and the Hobgoblin. Here, I felt the tension of this issue was really, really great. Like, this, this to me was probably the most intense issue of this series since Superior 9 with the, with the, with the Mindscape battle. Um, you know, Slot just really built this well. Um, you know, we, we had these these beats about Phil, is he gonna, you know, he's his, he, he's been outed, he's been revealed, the vultures are circling, the cops are coming in, Spider-Man's coming in, is he gonna crack in the newsroom, you know, that you have the reporters one after the other being like, well, no, we, 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 you know, you have, first you have Joe Robbie, um, you know, the, the always steady Robbie Robertson telling everyone to chill out, <laughs> and then, you know, reporters are kind of, you know, are they gonna, um, you know, turn in one of their own, you have um, Nora, you know, demanding to get answers from Phil. 
Um, and, and it's just like, I feel like these moments are just building and building and building on top of each other. And, and it just had me flipping each page, you know, really anxious to see what was going to happen next. If, you know, if, if Otto was going to kill the hobgoblin, if Phil was going to take someone down with him, uh, you know, it, it was really tense. What did you think? Well, I think it was really appropriate that Robertson called it a pressure cooker in the issue because I really felt like that newsroom was a brilliant place for this confrontation to occur. And for all the like talk about uh, with the breakout uh, issues of having this confined space uh, to do like a diehard-like scenario, I felt like this newsroom felt more compressed than all of that combined. Like just that it's so public and it's such a small enclosed space. Who knew what would happen in there? And I and I thought it was a really smart writing move to, to set the battle in that location. Yeah, and not for nothing, Dan. I mean, not to throw personal experience, but someone who has worked in a newsroom, it, it just felt very true and honest, the setup. I mean, not that we ever had a supervillain amongst us no, at our newspaper. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it just... It it felt really honest and sincere, and maybe that's why I connected with it as well. But yeah, no, I just I I, I really applaud Slot there for how we kind of just kept building the layers on top of each other. And then in terms of Phil, and you know, we mentioned this again with fifteen, the Peter Parker parallel. Um, this comic definitely makes the case for it. I mean, maybe not maybe not so much the Phil Peter Parker, but maybe the Phil Hobgoblin versus. Spider-Man as, as, as Otto Octavius because you had that one scene where they're interviewing people who, who knew Phil and um, one woman says, oh, you know, what was it? Like the, the superhero support group or something like that or, or where she said, um, I, I, you know, always knew he had a few screws loose, but, you know, would he ever go full on supervillain? Actually, yes, I think he would. And I felt that kind of had a, a little bit of foreshadowing <laughs> with what's going on with um, Otto as Spider-Man. That's an interesting thought. I, I didn't think about that. Yeah. And it, it, so it's just it's, you know, and then, I mean, did you notice anything else in terms of like Phil and Peter or Phil and Spider-Man? I'm Spider-Man. I mean, like, you know, I, I didn't read a lot of the original Phil Urick, um Green Goblin stuff from the '90s. So I, you know, I maybe just don't have as enough, enough of a taste for the character. But I know you and a few others, I think, are are a little more um, sympathetic towards him overall in this universe. Yeah, I mean, his character kind of took like a hard right turn, become this killer. Uh, but you know, I, I'm willing to buy it. It's not a character I, I was very invested in, uh, and, I, and I think. You know that he, he was—he's been handled well, and the more that I get of him, the more I've enjoyed. Even in Spider Island, the small role that he had to play in some of the backup books, I enjoyed. And you know, I've always enjoyed, especially with Ramos drawing him, because uh, the the switch that Phil takes from being normal kind of Peter Parker-looking guy to like crazy hobgoblin laughing guy is really dramatic, and. I enjoy watching this kind of like two-tone character. And so the moment where Phil gets thrown out the window and the world sees his face and Spider-Man says, like, this is your – these are your enemies. Like, this is what you should fear. It's kind of like the moment that Peter Parker has always been afraid of being, you know, his identity revealed to everyone not by his own choosing, um, even though he did it several years ago. Uh, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> but that, that doesn't exist anymore, Dan. Come oh, on. <laughs> oh, no, 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 it does. People just forget what they saw. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. It's just a big blurry circle or whatever it is. Um, no, I mean, this was, this was, um, Spider Act, I think, at its cruelest. I mean, you know, I had mentioned earlier, you know, in terms of the tension and, and it was Otto gonna, gonna kill Phil here, you know, kind of based on prior history. Um, but maybe in some ways what he did was even more, well, certainly more humiliating and more, more emasculating. Um, it, it was pretty brutal. I was really worried, uh, you know, with the murders that we've seen him doing, there's that one image where Spider-Man is standing over Phil with the flaming sword. Mm. I thought for sure when he says, how do we stop your laugh? I thought for sure he was going to cut his head off. Yeah. Which would have been appropriate because he cut off Daniel Kingsley's head. (laughs) Very poetic. Um, And then what did you think of um, Robbie in this issue? I loved Robbie in this issue. There's that – well, I, I'm of two minds about Robbie in this issue. There's the one moment where Robertson, uh, who I would claim as known P- Spider-Man as Peter Parker all along. Do, do you believe that? Are you in that camp? Um, not 100 percent. There is serious evidence to say, yes, he knows, but also like he has never really brought it up. So – or I, has I, he? I think that that Robbie is a good enough reporter that he probably would figure it out. But but you're right; he's never brought it up. And and if he knows or doesn't know, I mean, why why if he knows, why has that never been addressed? Like yeah. like well, like, either way. like sorry. I mean, it's it's just you know, like like in Daredevil, Ben Urich knows who Daredevil is, and it makes a you know, and this this is a point, and he chooses not to reveal it. But so, you know what I mean? Like, why not? Unless they just didn't want to repeat the storyline for Spider-Man and Robbie. Yeah, I think it really just depends on the writer. Like some writers really make it as if Rob, Robbie really knows or like is subtly hinting. There's, there's a scene in, I think, in like the 250s of Amazing Spider-Man where uh, like Peter Parker basically is about to like haphazardly like reveal that he is Spider-Man to Jonah and Robert Robertson goes, uh, Jonah, can you come over here? Like, and he like, Peter, why don't you stop talking? <laughs> yeah. And, and you're like, okay, he definitely knows. But yeah. anyway, there's a moment where uh, he yells at Ock about what he's done to the situation and how he handled it. Um, he's like criticizing his like go for broke method and the danger that it's put them in, and like puts his face right up to Spider-Man's and is like, what are you thinking, handling it this way? Um, like, where's your evidence? And then Spider-Man kind of turns the tables on him. But I like that Robertson stood up to him. But at the same time, like, for how awesome of a moment that is, Robertson's also a huge dick at the end of this book. Total dick move at the end. <laughs> Total like, dick move. He's like, hey, Nora Winters, guess what? Your life was just threatened. You found out your boyfriend is a supervillain. Uh, and you, now you're going to lose your job. Like, I get it. But, like, yeah. if you've done it a little more tactfully, maybe wait five minutes. Uh, yeah, we're gonna let you go. <laughs> He's like, Yurik, it's your it's your nephew, but like you're only blood related to him. You can just take go on the sideline for a little while. But Nora, you were his girlfriend. Like, what were you thinking? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I that 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 seemed a little extreme. I mean, I don't know if they're trying to if they did that in order to plant the seed for Nora to 
turn heel or something. I don't know. But um, well, now I want Nora to join up with Carly and be like, guess what? I've investigated goblins before. Like this could be my comeback is getting revenge on what the goblins did to me and losing my career. I, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to take that character, but I like that character enough to be interested to see where it's headed. And, and speaking of Carly, still sleuthing away, although we get some we get some Wraith action in this movie, in, in this issue. Okay, my favorite thing about the Wraith is that somehow she has polygraph sensors in her tendrils. Who installed that kind of tech? Who not? Why not? You know, I mean... <laughs> I mean, if, if if Otto can use little nanobombs and hobgoblin, why not? Why not polygraph sensors? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it, it was pretty wild. And again, I mean, we're getting more of this kind of. I feel very dry. You know, follow the money uh, plot line. You know, and now we have um, goons with bank accounts in the Cayman Islands, and you know, uh, not not to digress too much politically, but you know. I, I get that, you know, from some of the stuff that non-Spider-Man stuff that Dan Slott tweets out, he's got some opinions on things. And I just kind of wonder if that's kind of lurking its way into the book. I mean, we have some of the NSA spying stuff with Spider-Man right now. And then we also have this kind of like, you know, big money, corporate greed kind of angle. I mean, Cayman Island accounts. I mean, that's just again, this isn't usually the kind of stuff I I try to read in a, in a Spider-Man comic book. So it just seems Although a little at the out same of place. time, let's be honest, like every villain in every movie for the p- past 20 years has been some rich guy with offshore accounts funding his, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a it's new not, thing. You're right. You're right. It's, but, but it's new for Spider-Man. I feel. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But at the same time, like I'm kind of happy because I want to know where these villains get their money to pull off these things. Like, how did Ock pull off ends of the earth? He's got giant robots. He is a giant Mayan robot, like, funding, like, you know, that's uh, Mysterio. But, like, how are any of these guys funding this stuff? If this is a time to, like, peel back the curtain on villains and where they get their funding, like, why not? We're seeing it in superior foes that these low-level villains don't really have any funding. Like, what are these high-level villains doing? Like, where are they getting this money? Like, Kingsley, yeah, he's getting people to rent these personas from him. That's actually a great idea. Uh, why not peel back how Doc Ock is pulling it off? I'm right. genuinely curious about it. All right. Just as long as we don't start talking about, like, state income taxes and, you know, <laughs> why, and why we need to, like, incorporate our, our companies in certain states versus others. And, and I'm, then we're just getting a little... You, I'm telling you, there's a book, Super Accountant, that's going to be a big hit. <laughs> I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. We're naming... Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I kind of... I still also kind of want to see, like, a, a book where uh, the Wraith and Carly go to the Cayman Island and they're like... Why do we ever want to go back to New York? This is kind of nice. And they just kind of just hang out on the beach for an issue. There we go. I, let's, let's, if anyone can do it, it's Dan Slott, I think. Um, <laughs> and, uh, of course, we have the Avengers again in this issue, briefly. Um, yeah. We, we, is, is, what's going on with this probation? <laughs> well, wasn't, wasn't he off probation? Or was that, a, was that official in Spider-Man Team-Up 1 where they're like... They're like, but uh, he's like, oh, that probation thing, like, ha, that doesn't really matter. So I guess maybe he's still on probation, but they like him a bit more. But I am glad it was brought up. Like, they're like, hey, we're not in town, but we know you're destroying things. Like, what's the deal, dude? Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, um, Spider-Man is is not involved in the main stuff going on in Infinity right now, um, which I'm reading. 
I'm guessing you're not. Um, no, I'm 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 not. That's okay. Um, I'm just I'm a, I'm a I'm a sucker for th- for Thanos. If it's if it's good enough, I'll pick up the trade. Okay, fair enough. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I know he's going to be in that like Mighty Avengers, which is kind of like the Luke Cage spinoff series that's going to launch in September. But the one uh, with two Power Mans in it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> there's Luke Cage, and then there's Power Man. I was like, wait, there's another Power Man. Yeah, it's, it's 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 definitely a very B-listy lineup. Um, I mean, I, I I plan on checking it out for a few issues just to see how how Otto is used. But yeah, uh, totally totally digressing. Um, I, the point I was just trying to make is like, I mean, I'm I'm starting to feel less and less that Spider-Man is really actually an Avenger or at least like the A-team Avenger. Um, so, you know, I, I guess that you know, little scenes like this just kind of add to the to the muddiness of the situation. Um, I wish they would just kind of be clear about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll see that in an upcoming book because they're definitely like, we're going to come back and have a talk to you about this. Yeah. And then determine that he's not a, you know, a scroll again or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I like this because I think this is like I was saying in 14, that like that's the apex. I really think we're starting to see some of the unraveling here and the book has almost moved away from Peter Kind of, we're seeing so much of the supporting cast and the universe as it begins to shift and move against him, which I kind of like. Yeah, I mean, definitely piece by piece, um, more people are turning against, and I and I guess you know, the, I'll be curious to see how Miguel O'Hara kind of figures into all of this too. Um, and you know, I don't, I, I know we're not gonna talk in in detail about this, but you know, we kind of had. Um, some more of this kind of shaming of, of Otto in the um, Superior Spider-Man team up in Scarlet Spider crossover with, with Kane, I felt. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that, that the, it's, we're now starting the, the long trip back down for, for Otto. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have to get this out of the way. I have to mention this. My favorite line in the whole book is when he's running through the newsroom and Spider-Man says – out of my way, you senseless cattle. I'm trying to save you. <laughs> like, what a great – that like, sums up Otto Octavius in every way. He's like not really saving them because he thinks highly of them. He's doing it because he wants to prove that he's really good at something. There, there, there is a contingent of the fan base that feels that Slot writes better Otto dialogue as Spider-Man than he did Peter as Spider-Man. I mean I don't know if I totally buy into that, but I do agree that – Slot has some great one-liners for Otto, and that's another one. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I agree. So uh, let's talk about the end of this book before we get to our grades. Yes. Uh, the Return of Menace? I was not expecting that. I thought that yeah. character was gone, gone. Yeah. And, and who, who ended up being Menace? I got, like, that, that just seems like such a distant memory to me at that Lily point. Lily Hollister. Okay. Uh, she, you know, Harry had some of his goblin memorabilia lying around, and Lily... Uh, accidentally got involved in it and began transforming into a goblin and then decided to use that to uh, help her father's campaign, but in his political campaign, but in the doing so inadvertently killed someone and kind of went down this dark trajectory until she delivered Harry's baby, which Norman thought was his. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, my God, how many of our uh, the supporting cast is Norman going to sleep with? And uh, 
Yeah, so now Harry is off doing his Breaking Bad stuff with his baby. And, uh, yeah, Menace is... She disappeared, and now she's back. She is working for the new Goblin... And I want to say the new Goblin King. Um, right, right. And, and, and Phyllis the Goblin Knight. So, I mean... How do you think this ties into who is the Goblin? Well, I don't know, but I know that it was funny to see Spider-Man get really upset that he handed over uh, Phil and they just clearly bungled it again. He's like, what more do I have to do for you guys? Well, I do like that they made a joke about, well, this is why we don't use the raft anymore because we had people escaping. Oh, and he's escaping. (laughs) (laughs) He won't escape these adamantium chains. Forget it. No, no. I mean, you know, like – because you had people escaping a prison, at, at all, a super prison at all times. But, you know, certainly the armored truck is secure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still not giving up on the, my thought that the word daddy was important in some way. But even more so, I think these, these goblin knight and goblin queen and goblin king thing is very important. Um, I, but I, don't, I can't make the connection yet, but... But there is a very distinct difference between this person who keeps referring to himself as Goblin Knight and the whole hierarchy he seems to be establishing. Even through using the word daddy means that he is superior in some way. He is running this show in some way. Now, we've never used, heard the Goblin use this terminology before. And I'm, I've been trying to think of Spider-Man characters that are into the whole royalty angle or whatever. It better not be someone from London, but... It's no, it's Gwen's uncle or whatever. I would say it's Gwen's uncle. Why don't you like, come on, dear lady? Why don't you go talk to him? Talk to the boy. <laughs> yeah, he like Norman Osborn slept with Gwen's uncle while he was over there too, and now this is the weird offspring. I don't know. Um, it's it's bloody sins past. <laughs> um, or maybe maybe my maybe the person all along is Lance Bannon, rival photographer. <laughs> But we we also know that like Norman's son uh, is still out there, uh, the Gray Goblin. Oh goodness! And we don't know where he is in, in any way. Um, and an upcoming solicit shows a gray-faced Goblin character standing up to, to the Green Goblin. Um, I don't know if that is the Goblin Knight or or who who it is, but it's certainly an interesting thing and makes me curious about. Uh, that character coming back. And we do remember that he may appear to be in his 20s or something, but he is very young because he aged with the Goblin Serum. Maybe it's not Normie, but it's actually... Gabriel Stacy is his name, I believe. Uh, And maybe it's him, you know? He he could be using the word daddy because his mind is still that of a, like, four-year-old. I don't know. It's It's a stretch, but I'm get, I mean, all I've got here is I, I'm guessing. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and for some reason, the 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 kind of closing beat on the goblin adding to his army motif didn't bother me as much here because I actually felt that, you know, we had we had more information, we got more interesting reveals. I mean, whether or not you're a fan of menace, um, you know, that was a twist that I was not expecting. Yeah, and uh, I think they were drawn really well. The design of Menace from Ramos I thought was really cool. We haven't seen his Menace yet. Um, And I thought the Goblin Knight looked pretty badass. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Phil's got a a third lease on life now. (laughs) Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of excited because uh, how does a superior Spider-Man battle three goblins? 
Uh, that's a that's a pretty uh, hefty challenge, I think. Well, fortunately, this is the superior Spider-Man, so I'm sure <laughs> sure he'll figure something out, or the world will come crashing down, and thus maybe we'll need another Spider-Man to do to do the job, if you know what I mean. Yes, yeah, so all of my concerns are suddenly alleviated. So let's get to our grades, Mark. What did you think of this book? Uh, B plus, really liked it. Just a fun issue. And I'm right there with you. B plus, it's good stuff. It's laying some groundwork. And without, like, full dramatics like in issue 9, but uh, it's the, I think this series is back on track. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn world to its own needs. Dummy, serve your own needs. Beat it up and knock speed. So do we want to talk some news, Dan? Of course. Let's let's go to the World Wide Web or of some other news. really bad uh, <laughs> spider pun. Oh, Dan, 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 Dan. Well, it's not a ton of stuff going on right now, but, um, I mean, two things that I saw as noble. First of all, uh, it was announced uh, very recently that, that Venom is, uh, uh, is being canceled. Um, I know some people noticed uh, when the November solicitations came out um, that there was no venom in it, and there were some questions, and I think someone asked Tom Brevoort on his, you know, form spring, uh, you know, what was going on, and he kind of couched it as, oh, we got big things in plan, but no, no, venom is ending with issue 42, and it sounds like that superior Spider-Man issue where he shows up is probably going to be pivotal into what happens here. And it makes um, me even more excited for that issue because it means they're going to do something dramatic. Yeah, that's, you know, for for fans of Venom, we're, we're sorry. I mean, I know, Dan, I've kind of hung with it longer than you have, maybe against my better will and judgment. Um, but, you know, clearly the quality had kind of degenerated for me, at least. But You didn't uh, like the Venom-mobile? No. No, I did not like the Venom-mobile. I did... And and it takes more than sticking Eddie Brock in an issue with new symbiotes to get excited for me at least. Um, but you know, let's let's not rail, you know, let's not let's not pull, pile on the corpse here. Although I do think that you know, we, we Marvel has talked about they're doing a, a Marvel Now two uh, in like January. You mean and, like Spider Island two? Yes, it's two the number, not two as well. Uh, <laughs> and. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see a, a, a relaunch at some point next year on this. I, I, I mean, you know, maybe they just felt things ran its course. I mean, interestingly enough, this was the highest, it's, it's the highest numbered issue of all Marvel titles. Um, and Marvel seems to be very anti letting their titles get too high in the, in the, in the digits lately. So just, just chew on that, I guess. It's a shame because I think it was a book that had a lot of promise at one point in time. And, and it's, it is a, a true 
representation of how important a writer is to a book series and how you can you can have a character that is really fascinating and interesting but it's really all about what the writer does with it yeah no question and then uh the other little news bit here i don't know if, it, if this is super news but um we we're getting a superior spider-man annual in november that's gonna be scripted by christos gage and Danslot has said multiple times on twitter that this annual matters quote unquote and you know i know i'm sure he's trying to drive up sales because um, you know annuals the annuals tend to be kind of I, I I've never been a huge annuals person. I mean, I know we've had a couple of significant moments over the years um, occur in Spider-Man annuals, but I mean, they're, they're, I generally kind of pick them up out of obligation to, to the title more than anything else. Um, but but he, he he's being very adamant that this that this is important, and he's even like invoked some of the great annuals of Marvel's past. He talked about you know, Reed and Sue, uh, Richard's getting married in Fantastic Four number three and uh, annual three. And he talked about Spidey in the Sinister Six and annual number one and said that this is going to be just as important. So, and uh, believe me if I'm wrong, uh, or correct me if I'm wrong. Don't believe me if I'm, if I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, you should never do that. No. But uh, in this one, Aunt May is getting kidnapped. Am I correct? Um, I believe this solicitation says that. So, uh, yeah, let's see what happens, right? Important annuals. Uh, I guess we'll have to pick this one up, right? Yeah. I mean, should we podcast about it? I guess we should. I, I think I think we're going to have to. Um, all right. So let's see. Let's see you make those annuals matter again because I can't remember the last time an annual mattered for, for Spider-Man. One other thing I wanted to bring up, this is more speculation than anything. I wonder if Scarlet's... Spider is uh, headed to an end. Uh, if you've read the recent issue, it ends with Kane's uh, clone degeneration returning. And the the issue cover of this issue, I think it's 24 for November, has him with his mask off, with looking down like forlorn. And it mentions that uh, he will have to make a choice that, that could uh, force him to leave his life as he knows it behind and move on to other things. And to me, I know that all, a lot of issues are hyped up that way, but to me, it kind of says to me, well, maybe this series is coming to an end and they're going to move Kane off to doing something else, or at least him move him out of Texas. So I yeah, don't know. I mean, I'm just curious. Um, well, I mean, what's interesting to me about Scarlet Spider, and I know that I am a, more of a defender of the series than you are, and we don't have to rehash that again. But, you know, for me, the bigger sign about Trouble in Paradise on this series is, you know, the, the, the last few arcs, we've, we had a Wolverine three-parter. Uh, we all know Wolverine kind of gets helicoptered in to help sales. Then we had the Superior Spider-Man crossover, which, again, I actually really liked it a lot. Um, you know, my, my, my review on the site... Uh, is you know is very positive about this. It kind of made me a little nostalgic for some '90s comics, believe it or not. Um, and then um, now we're, we're getting Ben Riley in the comic and Craven the Hunter. So it's like I, I feel like they're trying to bring back these, you know, these important A-list type characters to to kind of boost up the 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 exposure of Kane. And you know, it's still selling under 20,000 comics a month. It's just, it's not going to cut it these days. Um, so, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I don't know if that was totally the interpretation of the ending of of the um, the sibling rivalry arc that I got that that this was all moving towards an end. Um, but you know, yeah, certainly that solicitation in November hints at it, and I guess we'll just have to see when the December solicitations come if if there's going to be another title missing from it because that that's usually a giveaway. Well, you know, if a book is over, it means you can always look back on some old issues to fill in your spots. So let's go and take a look back at an older issue that you just picked up, Mark. Amazing yeah. Spider-Man number four. I'm, Dan, I'm really excited to have this issue. This is, um, you know, for people who follow my my chase on Chasing Amazing, um, this brings me down to four issues remaining to have the complete run of Amazing Spider-Man. Um, this was definitely kind of, you know, of the five that I had been missing to this point, I kind of considered it one of the big four. I mean, the other one, the, the, you know, I'm missing obviously issue one, issue three, first Doc Ock, issue six, Lizard. And then the one that's kind of like the odd man out is, is, is 16, which is the Daredevil crossover. Not that it's not a cool issue, but like, I just don't understand how that just hasn't lined up for me. But anyway. Um, that's one but, that I have, but I okay. don't have number four. Okay, well, maybe... Yeah, maybe we can set up. Well, no, I can't trade you because then I would have another hole. We'll have, we'll have a play date. <laughs> okay, there we go. We'll we'll, we'll mingle our collections together. Um, this, we'll might, a, this, this might be dangerous to both of our psyches. Yeah, pretty much a superior a superior collection. Um, but um, Amazing Spider-Man Four, in addition to being one of the missing issues, I think is a really cool issue. Um, it introduces the Sandman, who, you know, I would probably put in that upper echelon of Spidey villains um, tippy top. I mean, he's kind of uh, traversed between good and evil throughout his career, but this was a really um, Ditko-esque introduction to the character. I, 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 I always feel whenever something quirky is going on in early Spider-Man, it's, 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 it's indicative of Ditko. <laughs> Not so much Stan Lee. Um, just because things kind of, once Dicko left the title, things got a little more mainstream. But um, just, first of all, visually, the character is very stunning. I mean, you have this opening splash page in this comic of, of you know, of Sandman holding out the money and Spider-Man punching through him. And, I, I, you know, I recently actually selected it as, like, one of my favorite um, Ditko splash pages. I did a, a little top ten list on Chasing Amazing a couple of months ago, and I, and I, I named this my number one just because I thought it, it just really kind of captured the the unpredictability 
visually of the Sandman. And I, I, I kind of got a sense that when Sam Raimi did Spider-Man 3, um, Sandman was definitely the best part of that movie. Um, and like he kind of borrowed some of the visuals um, from this comic. Um, just in terms of all the shape shifting and, and the fight sequences between Spider-Man and Sandman, the fights are great. Um, you got Spider-Man using a vacuum cleaner. You got Sandman looking for a high school diploma. I mean, is this like this is such such you know trademark '60s early Spider-Man? Yeah, I agree with you on on all uh, fronts. And 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 what's great is this character really lets uh, Dicko like let his artwork shine. He's such a master of the bizarre and and strange and especially through his doctor strange series um that uh, this allowing him a character that can shapeshift you get some images that i i don't think i've ever seen with sandman since like snake-headed sandman mm-hmm. is really kind of disturbing to look at um and it's really quite fun and this book has got all those kind of goofy things that you associate with early spider-man like their first fight goes really poorly and ends really quickly because Peter's mask tears in half and he just goes <laughs> running away like a little kid. <laughs> and then also there's um, a moment where he like gets back to his house and he has to hide from Aunt May. So he fakes being sick and she's like, oh, let me care for you. And he's like, I can't believe I have to hide, you know, in my bed. It's kind of it's kind of just funny overall, especially the vacuum being the answer to the solution here. Yeah, and then you get the, the quintessential Parker moment at the end where, you know, he doesn't get photos of the fight, so he he, he, stage, he throws some sand in the air and, like, shows himself punching it and takes photos of it, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is just, I, I mean, I, I, I love that moment. I mean, that's such a great, a great Peter, Peter the Loser moment. <laughs> um, and, like, I hope Jonah buys it. <laughs> I hope someone walked in on him doing that. Like, that's hysterical. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's a fun issue. Key first appearance. Um, it's also the first appearance of Betty Brant for, you know, for what that's worth. Um, but I, I am curious because, you know, I, I always like, to me, it's always fun talking about villains and, and kind of where they stand. And, and I feel you learn a lot about people, um, based on how they rank a villain in some, in, you know, in, in, in comic books. So Dan, I mean, where, where do you, where does the Sandman kind of fit in, in terms of the pantheon of Spider-Man villains? I don't feel like enough is really ever done with him. Um, and I, I like the way that they kind of revamped him a little bit during the, um, the, the stories a couple of years ago where he was, had this Island of his own and, uh, and I like the character whenever he is used. I wouldn't say he's a character that I am really like intrigued or moved by as a villain. Like his story, I don't I don't know if the connection between him and Peter Parker is all that interesting. Like it is with Doc Ock being a scientist, like a twisted version of of Spider Man and Norman Osborn. Like the, these characters, I think are more tied. But in terms of like. Do I like this character as a cool villain of Spidey's? I think he's one of the best designed. Like, I love the idea that he can turn his hand into a hammer and come after Spider-Man. Like, how do you defeat that? Um, yeah. And it's one of the most, you know, interesting. The shapeshifter has obviously been done with, like, Clayface and it, with Batman and stuff. And Spider-Man has his version. And this is kind of Marvel Universe's shapeshifter villain. And, and I think he's a lot of fun in that, in that aspect. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I definitely think he's one of the more creative Spidey villains. Um, he's more fun visually than he is narratively. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, but, I mean, you know, he's been around since the get-go. 
um, you know, first, you know, first, first full year of Spider-Man, he shows up. He was in the original Sinister Six. He was in the second incarnation of the Sinister Six, the third. I, I mean, you know, so he's he's got he has some mileage, and and you know, I know that um, he kind of shows up as a good guy um, in some storylines. I know the um, Sinister Syndicate storyline in the eighties. He shows up to help out Spidey and Sable. So, I mean, they they do try and add layers. But I know what you're saying, though. Like, 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 it's hard for me to point to that quintessential Sandman story. I mean, this issue might be the quintessential Sandman story. Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. I mean, you know, where with a lot of the other major villains, I mean, you can point to a couple of like those key moments in Spider-Man history where where that villain the villain's presence was a key part of it. Um, you mean it's so, not it's not the one where he and Hydro become a monster? No, the mud monster. No, <laughs> no. Uh, well, well, the the problem with that was also Hydro Man, but that's <laughs> that's okay. Um, I, Hydro Man didn't figure into my uh, countdown of of lame Bronze Age uh, villains on uh, Long Box Graveyard, but uh, you know, I, I, he he was close for me. I don't know. I I just never. I thought Hydro Man was kind of kind of lame <laughs> yeah he's one of those guys that like you can see the thought process behind they're like well we have a guy made out of sand why don't we just make a guy out of water <laughs> yes it's it's and and then we'll make a man named out of teflon and we'll call him slide <laughs> <laughs> um but alas um but like i said i'm happy to have this issue i'm happy to have four issues left dan and 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 you know i'm how many ahead of you now like 15, I think. Oh, Dan, come on. Get to it. Uh. <laughs> so why don't we end this show on a positive note and so Mark doesn't, you know, keep talking circles around himself. Let's move into our comment section. There we go. So as you know, you can always go and find us on iTunes and you can click on the link that's appearing right now in your iOS device and it will take you right there. You can review us on iTunes, and we hope that you give us a nice positive review. And we're going to review, read some of the reviews that we got, comments that were left for us over the past couple of weeks since we did our last show. So why don't you take it away there, Mark, and give us the first review. All right. Um, well, our first uh, comment on iTunes is, is entitled Renewed by Spider-Man Love. It's by Atomic Grande. We got a five out of five, which we appreciate. And he wrote, I loved reading Spider-Man as a kid, but fell out of comics as I got older. After listening to your podcast, I shall quote Spider-Man 2, I'm back. You'd also be quoting Amazing Spider-Man 50, but I digress. Thanks, guys, although my wife and bank account don't like it. Oh, I can relate to that. I think I'm going to do the I'm back and as he says it in the movie, and he says, I'm back! <laughs> Sorry, Dan. I'll, 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 I'll get my acting voice down for a later quote. <laughs> if anybody is coming to me for acting tips, they are in trouble. <laughs> when did you take the second one, Dan? All right. It's, it's entitled Very, Very Enjoyable. Thank you. By Professor Allen. And it's a five out of five. So thank you, Professor Allen. He says, big fan of these guys. I'm not up to date on current Spider-Man comics, but these guys keep me in the know on what's going on with the old web slinger. Yeah, Professor Allen, I actually know, is he's a, a long box graveyard uh, uh, diligent fan there. And, and I think that's kind of how he, 
he he hooked up with with the with the superior spider tuck brand um you know through some of the work i've been doing over there so uh professor allen thanks thanks for leaving a review and and you know thanks for some of the good feedback you've also left us on twitter i really appreciate it yeah yeah we're glad to have you as a listener um and then the final one here is um just titled podcasts uh it is by chucky 76 it's four out of five stars and he wrote wonderful podcasts very knowledgeable keep up the good work we shall try, Chucky. We shall try. Thanks, Chucky. I didn't realize they got up to 76 of those Chucky films. <laughs> when are you going to review them for your, for, your, for your blog, Dan? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to do a seven, all 76 versions of Chucky uh, marathon uh, review. Um, also, just kind of in the general world of how awesome Dan and I are, uh, we do want to mention that. Uh, on uh, August 24th, we were both at the Connecticut Comic-Con, that's Con, C-O-N-N, uh, had a really great time. Uh, there were some really great industry people there that we got to talk to, uh, like J.M. Demetrius and Mark Bagley, um, Danny Figueroa and Jim Salkrup, who were both uh, editors of ASM back in the heyday. And we're going we're gonna to compile the audio uh, from some of these interviews and, and put that in a podcast. So that would probably be episode eight of Superior Spire Talk. That would be Superior Spire Talk and Friends. Or maybe we'll even be breaking it down into a couple of podcasts. Right, Dan? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to combine maybe one or two of them per podcast. But expect a large number of interviews with some pretty awesome people. And I think you're gonna, you should be really excited about this. I hinted at this uh, a couple months ago when I did that in-between ep- update. And uh, this is the exciting thing that I had to announce. We're going to have some cool guests on the show. Yeah, and then there's also coverage from the con on Chasing Amazing as well, which uh, hopefully the link will appear here as I'm saying this. And, uh, you know, check that out as well for, for, for my personal perspective and some of the stuff that, um, you know, that I picked up on, not just, not just from interviews, but also just the, the overall experience. I mean, uh, it was, like I said, it was a really great time and we were really happy to do that. And then also we should probably mention a little bit of a programming note. Um, we are, are hopeful and, you know, as time, as time allows, obviously, um, going forward, um, that our uh, podcast schedule is going to be uh, every two weeks rather than every month. We're going to try and, and, and get these out after each issue is released rather than doing two issues and reviewing them. Uh, you know, Part of that is just also to kind of make the uh, listener experience a little, little lighter and brighter for you guys. Um, and part of it is just to kind of make our lives a little easier too. So uh, as time allows, uh, I guess starting with issue 17 – uh, expect a you know a podcast to follow uh, you know probably within the week or so after that issue is released. I think the way it's going to go is you will get a a new episode of Superior Spider Talk every new comic book day in between Spider Man comics. I think that's a good system unless so, it's back to back weeks and then we got issues. <laughs> right. Well, and it, and it, they typically don't do that, but keep. Keep your ears open. We will let you know on the scheduling, and that's kind of the idea that we're going to be doing. But how awesome. You could be driving to the comic book store and listening to us talk about Spider-Man. It's like getting an episode or an issue of Spider-Man in between issues. So there you go. There you go. 
And so, uh, so Dan, why don't we start with the old plugaroos here? Yeah, so Mark, uh, why don't you tell me where we can find more of your work on the internet or where we can't find your work on the internet? Well, I was starting with you, but okay, I'll start with myself. Uh, <laughs> you can, of course, as always, find me on my home site, chasingamazingblog.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at chasingasmblog. Um, also my Facebook page and uh, Chase and Amazing. Um, I uh, recently contributed to Longbox Graveyard. Uh, I am continuing my every other week series on Seaquart.org about The Walking Dead. And then, of course, there's the weekly gimmick or good column at uh, Comics Should Be Good at Comic Book Resources. And just as one kind of last note as a, as a, pl- as a plug for letting me plug myself, uh, I recently appeared on two other podcasts. Um, sorry, Dan, I wasn't cheating on you, I swear. Um, one, it was the uh, Nerd of Mouth podcast, which is done by Cave Comedy Radio with uh, comedians Mike Lawrence and Jake Young. They interviewed me about Chasing Amazing. And then the other one is the Matt and Brett Love Comics, which is with um, Matt Little and Brett White, um, who uh, do some work with CBR and uh, some other uh, comic book work. Um, I appeared on recent episodes on both of those podcasts, so definitely give them a download, check them out if you just want to hear me kind of go over my beautiful life story of chasing Spider-Man comics. And I listened to them, and I had a really good time. So, you know, it was fun to see you elsewhere, even though my mascara was running the whole time. (laughs) And Dan, where do we find you? Of course, you can find me on Twitter at at Dan Gavazdin. You can read my movie reviews on my newly relaunched site, grindmyreels.com and um, I think that's about it for now but you can always find all of our Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.podomatic.com or find us on iTunes by searching Superior Spider Talk or just Spider-Man we come up pretty quickly and if you do please leave a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air like we just did today if you have any opinions on these comics or any questions, email them to us at superiorspidertalk at gmail.com, and we will address and read them on the air. All right, Dan. Well, um, I, I certainly enjoyed these two issues. I'm looking forward to see what Spider-Man 29, 2099 crossover says. And uh, as uh, our great Uncle Ben always told us, uh, with great podcasts comes Superior Spider Talk. Superior Spider Talk.